Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Hello, everyone. It's Dr. Paula McDonald with our Exhale Bible Discovery, and we're continuing in the book of John. And today we are in John chapter 8. So in chapter 7, we learned Jesus teaching about grace and truth. And this week, we are going to complete our chapter 8, learning about Jesus's teaching on truth. So the first part of this lesson is Jesus teaches truth, and that is from verses 31 through 47. So we continue with the powerful teachings in chapter 8. Jesus is still in the temple courts and continues his dissertation to the people. And as we know from the previous chapters in John, the growing opposition to Jesus was intensifying. And in verse 32, we see Jesus' profound statement. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And notice, he is saying this to the Jews who had believed him. But first, he also said, If you hold my teachings, you are really my disciples. And right after this statement, in verse 32, they answered him, exclaiming, They were Abraham's descendants and had never been slaves to anyone. Therefore, how could Jesus say that they will be set free? Well, I'd like to tackle this and let's break it down specifically. First, he was speaking to believing Jews. That's in verse 31. Then number two, action is required for belief. Because Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, and holding on requires action. To hold means to grasp or to grip. Third, he says, you are really my disciples. And a disciple is one who follows Jesus. And when we hold on to his teachings, his word, we are no doubt counted also as his disciples. And then fourth, the word then refers to if. So you have something to do so he can provide you with something. This then is your response to his calling. So if you believe in him, now what are you going to do, right? Number five, he says you will know the truth. This is not a maybe statement. This is a statement of complete honesty. If you believe, you will know the truth. No ifs, ands, or buts. Number six, the word truth. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is truth. Therefore, Jesus is truth. And truth must have specific guidelines. 
and a biblical description or definition of truth is, truth is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, the glory, and the being of God. Even more to know the point, truth is the self-expression of God. And in order to fully understand truth, we must know God's word. And that's why we're studying it, right? And then finally, the seventh point is, he says, and the truth will set you free. The only thing that negates sin, which sin is bondage, is truth. When we place our trust in Jesus, he then sets us free from our sinful bondage. And the word set suggests a breaking of something that's holding us hostage. That is a lot of theology in these two passages. So let's now take a look at how the people responded to this teaching, because it was packed. Lots of lessons there. And they are clearly missing the spiritual point because they start proclaiming their heritage to Abraham, and they are not grasping the meaning of what spiritual slavery was as they boldly say, Hey, we've never been slaves of anyone. Really? How quickly they have forgotten their own heritage. We will break down the people's arguments with Jesus into four distinctive challenges. The first challenge that they say is the Jewish people claiming to be descendants of Abraham that they were not in bondage. Well, they were physical descendants of Abraham. Therefore, They believed because of this earthly heritage that they were dependent on this belief alone and they missed seeing Jesus as their Messiah. How quickly they had forgotten their past and present bondage situations. Well, they were in bondage for 400 years by the Egyptians. We can find that in Exodus. Then during the times of Judges, they experienced more bondage. Go read the Judges. They were in bondage for 70 years under the Babylonians. You can find this in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then in Babylonia in the modern day is Iraq. And in 2015, the ancient tablets were discovered that revealed the life of Jews in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian times. And then during the times of reference here in John 8.33, they were now under the rule of the Romans. So there was lots of bondage in their past. And the Jews held to the teaching found in Leviticus 25, 39 through 42. Because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. Therefore, this was a huge insult to them to have been referred to as slaves. In their minds, They were already set free, and therefore they were missing the point that Jesus was sharing with them about being enslaved in the bondage of sin. And so Jesus' response to them is this. He says, I tell you the truth. And we find a total of five I tell you the truth statements. And nine times there is a mention of the word truth. In these verses 31 through 59, he says, Everyone who sins 
is a slave to sin. And the use of everyone indicates all who are not in Christ are serving another master, sin. Being enslaved by another master, sin, is not something God desires for us. Therefore, he sent Jesus to remove sin for those who believe in him. When you have time, read Romans 3. And although we all fall short of the glory of God, we are saved by grace. Therefore, we do not need to stay in our state of bondage or the slavery of sin. And we can never be perfect. Jesus was the only perfect person on this earth. We can, however, give him our guilt and ask him to help us remove our sinful nature. Habitual sins are all-consuming behaviors that hold us down. Self-indulgence, gluttony, lying, boastfulness, drunkenness, lust, and even gossip are habitual sins that we all need to ask God to help remove from our lives because we cannot do it alone. The word slave in Latin is service, and it's a root meaning heavy and burdensome. The word slavic and serf both come from this Greek word or Latin word service. These were people who were enslaved. The Slavic word for slave, Russian, rob or rob, R-O-B, provides the root word robot and shares an etymological lineage with the word orphan. Ha! So when we dig into this word slave in this manner, we can now relate to how sin can bog us down as an indentured servant or to become robotic. And additionally, when we are orphans, meaning we are apart from God. In John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What a beautiful promise to remind us of his amazing love. We are now his children when we accept him as our Savior. And he tells us in verse 36 that he sets us free. So the next challenge that we see here in these verses, they say we are not illegitimate children. The Jews claim they are free from the Father, who is God himself. And isn't it interesting that they were claiming to be from God while also doing everything they could to kill and destroy Jesus? Hatred does not come from God because God represents truth and love. And so here is Jesus's response to this. He points them right away to the error of their statement. He tells them, you are determined to kill me. And he goes on to say that Abraham did not do such things as they are doing. And he goes on further to say, you are unable to hear what I have to say. And so basically he's telling them, that because they refuse to hear anything other than their staunch held beliefs, they could not hear truth. And then Jesus gets to the point saying, you belong to your father, the devil. Wow. Can you imagine having Jesus say this to your face? Matthew 6.24 tells us we cannot serve two masters. Either we believe and belong to Jesus or we belong to Satan. There is no middle ground. And he asks them, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? And right then, 
Jesus is calling on them on the carpet. No one had anything on Jesus regarding sin, and this must have rocked them to the core. And so our second part today is Jesus is the truth. And this will conclude chapter 8 from verses 48 through 59. And in these final verses, Jesus culminates the discussion with valid points of absolute truth. And at this point, it's essential that we define and understand the word truth. Philosophers over the centuries have debated with what truth really means. And so let's take a quick look at some varied meanings of truth. We have relative truth, which is what we hear a lot right now. What's true for me may be true for you. We, it's, it's actually a contradictory statement in that seeking truth, it has to remain constant. Relativity is not constant. Absolute truth is something that is true at all times and in all places. It is something that is always true no matter what the circumstance. It is a fact that cannot be changed. For example, there are no round squares. Fixed, invariable, unalterable. God is most certainly absolute truth. He is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He cannot contradict himself. He cannot lie. So let's look at each one of these. Omniscient is having infinite awareness, understanding, and insight. Possessive of universal or complete knowledge. King David wrote, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before I say it. Lord, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too great for me to understand. And that's found in Psalm 139, 1 through 6. So being omnipresent is the quality or state of being, an infinite, self-existent, eternal, always was and always will be and always with us. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? And now let's look at omnipotent, all-powerful. Our all-powerful Creator cares for us, and He longs to exhibit His power through our lives. So no matter what you're facing, God can help you. Nothing is too hard for Him. No need is too great for Him to meet. No problem is too complicated for Him to solve. No foe is too strong for Him to conquer. No prayer is too difficult for Him to answer. So I've got a whole lot of really great statements with some verses, so you might want to be writing these down. God has the power to create anything from nothing. Psalm 33, 6 through 9. God has power to deliver. Exodus 13, 3. 
God's creative power is beyond our comprehension. Job 38, 1-11 God speaks and things happen. Psalm 29, 3-9 His resurrection power is immeasurably great. And that is Ezekiel 1, 19-20 His creation reflects His power. Psalm 19, 1-4 His powerful word sustains everything. Hebrews 1.3 He has power over death. Revelation 1.18 No one can challenge what God does. Daniel 4.35 And he reveals himself as the Almighty God. Genesis 17.1 So now there's a third challenge in this part of this chapter. You, Jesus, are a Samaritan and are (laughs) demon-possessed. Can you feel the intensified frustration here in these Jews? They are now resorting to name-calling. They didn't even like the answers Jesus was giving them, so now they are insulting the Lord of the universe. And here is how Jesus responds. Well, he instantly refutes their claim. He places his authority into God's hands. Jesus did not vindicate himself by insulting them in return. He simply points to the truth of his father, the ultimate judge he reminds them of. When they bring up Abraham again, saying Abraham and the prophets died, they ask Jesus if he is claiming to be greater than Abraham. And Jesus never loses his temper at these monotonous and redundant questions. He once again gives the glory to God, and he reminds them that the promised seed of the Messiah would come from Abraham, Genesis 15. The fourth challenge, you, Jesus, are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham, they ask. (laughs) Once again, they try to use their own human logic regarding Jesus, and this is where the rubber meets the road for this entire passage, Jesus' response. When Jesus answers by saying, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. He was clearly telling them that he was around before Abraham was even born, and that was a very bold statement for the Jews. Once again, Jesus was establishing his deity and his authority with God who was, who is, and always has been. And so I wanted to remind you that there are seven I am statements of Jesus here in the book of John. The I am statements. He says, I am the true vine, John 15, 1 through 5. I am the bread of life, John 6, 35 through 48. I am the light of the world. John 8, 12, and also in 9, 5. I am the gate, John 10, 7. I am the good shepherd, John 10, 11 through 14. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11, 25. And then I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Whew. Because this statement was volatile to the Jews, they were 
truly enraged and picked up stones to kill him because they were saying, we don't accept this teaching and we want to kill you, Jesus. How narrow-minded and absurd. They were throwing a little fit here. And nothing has ever been able to stop Jesus's words and his truth. Even Emperor Nero couldn't stop the spread of the gospel, despite all of his power and torture of the Christians. In the 19th century, Voltaire foretold that within a hundred years, the Bible would be extinct. But surprisingly, or not so surprisingly, the story alleges within 50 years after Voltaire's death, an ironic twist of providence, the very house in which he once lived and wrote was used by the Evangelical Society of Geneva as a storehouse for Bibles and gospel tracts and the printing presses he used to print his irreverent works was used to print Bibles. (laughs) Nothing and no person has ever been able to extinguish God's word from this earth. And our final point is that after his last I am statement, he hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. And I like to imagine that Jesus did indeed hide himself supernaturally. It was not his appointed time. He was always outnumbered. Yet until that appointed time, Jesus was able to slip away because he was and is in control then and still today. So how do you apply these truths to your life? One, referring to verse 31 about keeping Jesus's commands, what are you doing to keep his commands? And are you spending your time wisely that you need in order to know him and to know his word? Number two, have you been set free from your sins? If you haven't truly given those over to him, stop right now and write a prayer asking him to help you remove them. Number three, are there any habitual sins that you need dominion over? Satan will do his best to convince you that you can't defeat these, but with Christ, you absolutely can. Tell him what you need and that you need help. And then fourth, do you know him? What can you begin doing right now to know Jesus in a more intimate and personal way? Well, I hope chapter eight of John has been a true blessing. May you have an amazing and wonderful day. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com. Click on podcast and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode. 